Welcome to the Water Cooler, brought to you by Free Live and Sportsmate Mobile. The biggest question around the Water Cooler this week is, are we in a time machine? Not one, but two key forwards filled their bags on the weekend, albeit smallish bags by you know, all-time standards, while a dominant team has started the season 10-0 for the first time in a decade. But the year is indeed 2022, and with me to jump out of the time warp and into this week's talking points is Footy Live's finest analyst and happiest Hawks fan, Nick Guliminio. How are you feeling now that round 10 is in the books? Yeah, not too bad. I don't think we can complain, like you said. You know, time machine, uh, everyone loves a bit of old-fashioned footy, and yeah, the Ds are 10-0 and and look to have already booked their spot in the grand final, but... Um, in saying that, you know, the top four is still, uh, there's, it's still up for grabs with a few teams going for it and the top eight. So a lot to look forward to with footy and I just can't believe t- round 10 is already in the books. The season is just flying through. Season is definitely flying through and so are the heroes with their capes. So lead us off here, Nikki G. Who was your hero for the week? Well, I want to give a special mention to Joel Jeffrey of the Gold Coast. Six games into his career, and he kicks five goals straight. But my hero for the weekend, and he was the hero for Collingwood, uh, Oliver Henry. He, this a 19-year-old kid, criticised last week for his performance against the Bulldogs for kicking zero goals three, missed a few gettable opportunities, of course. Uh, but he got absolutely slammed across social media from supporters. Uh, saying he cost the game for Collingwood, etc., etc. But this week, dropped to the medical sub, and he comes on in the second quarter for Mason Cox, and he did the big Coxy uh, proud. Uh, basically, in a half a footy, he kicks four goals, one, 13 possessions, and five marks. Now, in a in a low scoring game that it was over in Perth because of the conditions. Uh, to kick four goals, which was uh, Collingwood's uh, a third of Collingwood's uh, goals, um, and also he almost kicked as many goals as the Dockers. He he was the X factor. It has to be said. So an incredible turnaround for a 19 year old. He showed some incredible mentality. So good on the young, good on the young fella. Yeah, good to see Collingwood staying true to their new roots. McRae's has come out with a new game plan, a new style, a new mentality, and I think the young, the youngins in particular, are enjoying it the most. And we're seeing them, you know, embrace their personalities, play with their style and panache. And as you said, he took his chance. He got lambasted last week as what happens when you're a Collingwood player: you live by the fans and you die by the fans, and they're always the first to jump on board and tell you that you're no good. But yeah. also, they're also the first to jump on board and tell you how good you actually are. So. He'll be enjoying the Collingwood media this week, that's for sure. And yeah, 19 years old, nothing but a long future there, hopefully. Mm. Um, but that was the uh, the Sunday the Sunday end. What did you make of that game in general? Was it uh, the basketball we wanted? Can you read too much into it? Or was it just a bit of a tragic day for football and uh, you can't read too much into the result? Yeah, well, I've actually got uh, Frio a little bit later on in my, on my agenda for today, so I'll try not to get too much into it. But um, obviously the conditions played a part in the game. Um, I don't think it suited the Dockers. Um, but all credit has to go to Collingwood, Gordo. Um, they came out uh, as underdogs. Uh, they haven't won in a few weeks, and they put in probably their best performance of the season. Uh, they were just hot around the footy. Uh, they converted from their opportunities, and they just wanted it more. So um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest game of footy, but 
I don't think Collingwood uh, will really care, to be quite honest. And I think they're sitting one game out of the top eight now, so it's a massive, a massive scope for them. Mm, absolutely. Also, to see your credits on our Friday preview show, you mentioned that the Adelaide St Kilda game was one to circle in there for your for your tipsters as a game that you had to get right. And luckily yeah. for you, my hero of the week, Max King, made sure you got it right by tipping St Kilda because the big man kicked six big majors and basically just carried them across the line. And yeah. um, it's I don't know if you, if you're a St Kilda fan if you're like excited about this or you're disappointed about this that you took one person to win a game for you. But I suppose the difference is that now that St Kilda has someone that they can rely on to get them out of a, a sticky situation, and they know that you know. If we're down by three goals heading into the last, well, maybe we just kick it to Max King and maybe he just wins the game for us. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what he did in the weekend. And there's a lot of pressure on this kid. A lot of pressure on this kid. He's meant to be their, you know, their shunning hope, their best since Nick Rewalt, and he's living up to expectations now. And again, as against the Crows, they shouldn't have really been in that situation. They should have played a lot better for the first three quarters. They're all the caveats. That's for everyone else to work out. But Maxi King will be sitting there. On, a, on Review Tuesday being, you know what, guys? I know you guys have to lift because I carried you all on the weekend and I carried you well. And as you said, I don't think Collingwood cares that it was a bad game. I don't think St Kilda fans care that it was uh, not their greatest performance. They got the four points. They got to see a big key forward kick a bag. Hmm. And uh, they got to see their team kick straight again. They've gone back to their straight kicking ways of the early season. And then I've gotten over their, their you know quarter season yips. So... Mm. They'll all be happy about that. And they got to make sure that uh, Bradley Hill walked off in his 200th match in Indigenous round uh, with with a win and a, yep. and a carry-off. So that was also very good to see. But, yeah, what do you read from this for the Saints? Is it is it good news that Max King gets them out of trouble or is it bad news that they played so poorly that they needed to be saved? No, it's absolutely good news. Uh, I think the biggest thing for St Kilda supporters is that uh, Max King, uh, for the first time this year, it has to be said, had his kicking boots on. Like, that's the most promising sign. It's the first game this year where he hasn't kicked it behind. He's had a few games where he's kicked, you know, four goals, three, two goals, two, and that game, one goal, seven. I can't really remember who it was against. But, um, yeah, he's been a bit inconsistent in front of goal. But then to come out um, on a game where St Kilda needed him most, uh, as you mentioned, you know, they weren't great for three quarters, and kicked six goals straight, um, that would be, I think St Kilda fans would be ecstatic with that. That is uh, hugely exciting. That's what you want to see from your big forward. And yeah, like there's always going to be games where I guess uh, you're not going to fully show up and you're not going to play your best footy, but you have to get across the line. And that's what the key forwards are there for, you know, uh, in moments where defence is hard to break down and uh, goals are hard to come by. Uh, like you said, kick it to your big key forward. Hope he takes a clunk. And Max King, he was flushing him from all angles. So they would be happy with that for sure. Absolutely. Another person that's very happy is is you, Nikki G. <laughs> you could be the happiest fan coming around. It's pretty obvious what your highlight was. But again, I'll send you credits. You are in fine tips to form. You came out. You backed your horse. You backed your horse and your hawks <laughs> to the home on the weekend. You said you had a vibe about it. You said that, you know, it's a mm. safe place for the for the Hawthorne to take on Brisbane. Brisbane's never won there before or hasn't won there in so long. And you were right. So talk us through the emotions, but also talk us through how did you guys pull it off? 
Yeah, well, I mean, this was Hawthorne's third win against the Lions. Um, so that's probably, I guess you can call it a bogey side for Brisbane. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was just a very strange game because, um, I mean, if you read into stats and history and all that, um, all of it kind of went out the window because Hawthorne kicked 18 goals. And I can't remember the last time Brisbane conceded that many goals, to be quite honest. They rarely concede over 11 I think the most they conceded this year was 14 against Collingwood. So to concede 18 goals from a Hawthorne side on the rebuild is, you know, I mean, it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. Um, but credit to Hawthorne. They matched the lines for contested possessions, clearances, tackles. I think that was something over the last fortnight that um, Hawthorne were being criticised for. And, you know, they dropped Tom Mitchell a couple of weeks ago or rested him and, uh, they did so with Warple again this week, but I think they got their midfield balance right. They brought the heat. Um, so yeah, credit to credit to the midfielders, credit to the forwards who as well were extremely efficient. Every time the ball went in there, went in there, um, they they converted more times than not. They were extremely efficient in front of goal. And something else I want to touch on: since round eighteen last year, Gordo, when Hawthorne drew to Melbourne, they are seven wins two draws, seven losses. And seven of those games as well were against top five teams from 2021. Um, so with with playing those seven teams, five wins, one draw, one loss. So, I mean, you have to give credit to them. I don't know what it is about playing to uh, against um, sides at the top end of the ladder, but they seem to do quite well. And the t- ten, in the first 10 rounds this season, they've already played... Um, eight teams that are currently sitting in the top 10 as well. So, and they've won four games. So, yeah, credit to them. I think um, Hawthorne supporters will, should be very happy. Hmm. And I think, you know, the game style matches that, that mentality of taking on the top teams. I think a lot of the top teams currently like to live in your, live in their own front half, especially that's mm-hmm. like the, one of their number one stats is time spent in, you know, the forward half of the ground. Yep. And Hawthorne doesn't seem to care about that. You've lost the inside 50 differential, I think, every win this year, which is a yeah. ridiculous stat. You've lost most of the other common metrics around, you know, uh, contested possessions, uncontested possessions, all the things that coaches say that we need to hit these numbers. And all it seems that Sam Mitchell cares about is getting your defensive line involved in the game. So a yeah. bit of a bit of park the bus action or a bit of, of sag and wagon, in, to use some uh, Premier League terms. Mm-hmm. And then you just run and gun. Then you just slingshot. And you don't, you just go aggressive. And I think, as you said earlier in the season, it's like this is not the year we're going to win the premiership. So you may as well try something different. And you've just given all of your players, all of your younger players, who are playing in the forward half, just this license to explore themselves, express themselves, and, and try and execute their skills. And then their senior players in the back half and in the center will hopefully provide a foundation so you, you don't get you don't get smashed. And they're good enough. And Sicily is probably having. Arguably his best season. Yep, definitely. They're good enough to. They're definitely um, good enough at the moment to absorb all that pressure mm. of conceding a lot of that forward forward territory, and then use their smarts, use their speed, use their skill, and, and rebound with with will. And they're getting really really good looks inside fifty, and it's paying off. As you said, eighteen goals against Brisbane, a ridiculous number, and um, you did it mm. by losing the inside fifty count by eleven. So a crazy mm. crazy game, but something's working and. We'll never know if Sam Mitchell actually means it to be this way. Like, he's deliberately losing the inside 50 count by 11. Probably not. But uh, it's definitely yeah. working at the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that style of play as well, like you said, it suits the it suits the forwards and it suits the key forwards as well. It gives them space to run into. Mitch Lewis is actually an interesting one. He kicked 22 goals last season um, from 14 games. And he's already up to 22 this year with half the amount of games played. He's only played seven. Um, he, isn't in, he isn't in the conversation for the Coleman because um, he did miss those three games. But, you know, if we're talking goals per game on average, he's second in the competition. So um, it's certainly working for the key forwards and he's probably in um, career best form as well. He's definitely having a breakout season. Mm. Another team that's having a breakout season, Nick, is uh, is Carlton. It's mm. undeniable now. They're they're entrenched in the top four after you know yeah. one win against the Swans, obviously. But the lid's off. Ralph the Ralph the roof has blown off Marvel Stadium, and uh, I, you know off the back of one good quarter of football, and that's fair enough. I, they're my highlight because footy. Yes, there is a VFL bias, and I think anyone who follows the AFL understands that, acknowledges that, but it just feels better when there's, you know, an yeah. old school club getting yeah. excited about their footy again. We <laughs> saw it with Richmond 2017. Now we're seeing it with Carlton. They're starting to believe, and yeah. it's nice. But it's also nice because it means if you don't bury for that club, you can you can take pleasure in their inevitable downfall. And that's my question here. So... A nine-goal second quarter blew this game open, and then the worm, if you were following on Footy Live, just locked slowly. It rapidly crept back down to zero pretty quickly, and they got away with a win back on back on some defence. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, Vossi would be like, we blew the game open, that's what we needed to do, and we hung on and we trusted our defence, and we've been doing that week in and week out. And I think they had the, the second-best um, defence in terms of goals considered inside 50 uh Second only to Fremantle. They're better than Geelong, better than Port Adelaide, better than Melbourne, the reigning, the reigning premiers. So that's all all well and good. And so mm. Ralph the Roof has been blown off. But do you agree that it should have been? Or are they still not quite a top four team yet? We'll be back after a quick break. to say I, I think I mean if games only lasted a half a footy they'd definitely be the premiership favourites put it that way but um, I think they're definitely struggling to wrestle back momentum like like we've seen so many times this year where Carlton just go on a run in the first half build up a massive lead stems back um, in the second half yeah I, I still think they're a top four team because they're dangerous they've got all the weapons and um I mean, the competition's so even at the moment as well. So you, you'd almost classify them as a top four lock, um, put it that way. But um, I don't think they're quite there in terms of being a premiership fancy. Uh, it depends what you use the term uh, lit off uh, as. I, I, like, depends what your meaning is, I mean. So 
I don't think I don't think they're premiership contenders. I think they're top four contenders. They'll definitely play finals, but yeah, they've definitely got a bit still to work on uh, in terms of yeah wrestling back that momentum and their defensive shape as a whole. Yeah, I think lit off is when you hear terms like you know. Uh, Kuno is the best forward in the competition. Michael Voss is the best coach. Paddy mm. Cripps will win the Brownlow Medal. Yeah. Will clearly like win two finals. That's that's lit off behaviour. I don't I don't even think Blues fans will dare utter the word we're going to win the win the cup this year. But um, <laughs> but you know they did it without Harry Harry Mackay, so you know yeah they can absolutely. they can point at it as well. And they still had a nine goal scoring quarter, so they still have that power there to just. Just blow teams out with goals, but mm. yeah, until until you do it for at least three quarters and then cruise. But you, yeah. you can't really give up at half time and rest on your laurels, which they've done a lot this year. They did it against Bulldogs, against against Port Adelaide, now against Sydney. They yeah. won all those games, so that's that's all that matters really. And they're eight and two, so you can't complain too much. But um, yeah, I, if I if I was Ralph, I'd be I'd be searching for the lid and, and putting it back on because well, in, in fairness, you don't want you don't want it too wet. Don't want it too wet at Marvel Stadium. <laughs> That's true. And they, their supporters, they deserve credit. I reckon they are the loudest in the competition. Um, and some Richmond fans, including yourself and Jimmy, uh, our former host, might disagree. Um, but I just think, uh, it, it, I think it was Mackay's, uh, not Mackay, Kerno's goal in the last quarter or a couple of those last goals that Carlton kicked. Um, yeah, the, the, the volume level certainly blew the lid off uh, Marvel Stadium. They are, yeah, incredibly passionate, the Blues faithful. Hmm. A team that's probably not as passionate are the Dockers, and mm. you have them, unfortunately, in the low-light gun this week. So yeah. uh, talk us through the anchors away that is the Blue yeah. Purple Haze. Disappointing, to say the least, for Frio. I know, I know you love them, Gordo. Uh, you love to jump on their bandwagon, but I think they've hit a wall, to be honest. Um, back-to-back losses against teams they should have beaten in Gold Coast and Collingwood at home, um, if we're to take them seriously this year, I reckon. Um, but the most worrying thing for me are the scores they've kicked. 33 against Gold Coast and 44 at home to Collingwood. And I understand, you know, that the conditions in Gold Coast weren't great, you know, the dewy weather and um, obviously it was raining over in Perth over the weekend. Um, but look, if we're to take away fourth quarter goals, because in both games, the fourth quarter was, the game was over, the contest was done. If we're to just count the goals they've kicked in the first three quarters of each of those games, they've kicked five goals combined over those six quarters. Now, that is the complete opposite to what we've seen from them in the opening eight rounds, where they cracked a ton three times and they were getting pretty close with a couple of scores in the 80s and 90s. Um, so it's really hard to put your finger on what exactly has gone wrong for Freo. Have they, are they starting to run out of steam? Like, uh, I mean, they, they had most of their players fit, um, or most of their midfielders and uh, forwards fit. So I guess the only thing that really uh, lines up together over the last fortnight is, is the conditions. Are they scared of the wet weather? Um, yeah, I, I mean, they, they won contested possessions and uncontested possessions uncontested possessions, clearances were even, but with tackles, they were minus 29 compared to Collingwood. Um, inside 50 tackles, they, they lost that 4 to 15, and they were minus 15 for inside 50s as well. So, And the marks inside 50s as well, were uh, they lost that 8 to 2. So 
Um, yeah, it's they're just obviously not providing as much of a contest as they were in the opening few rounds of the season. Um, and maybe they need five more than we thought. So I'm interested to get your mm. thoughts on this. I think they definitely need five when they can't play the style of game they want to. And I think in the wet in particular, it doesn't work. So they've borrowed heavily off their... Uh, bigger brothers, the West Coast Eagles, from back in their heyday by defending with the ball. So they like the chip pass, they like to work their way out of the back line, and they'll take their, they'll take heaps of time. There's no real aggressive ball movement when it comes to the Dockers. And that's all well and good if it's dry and you can you can chip mark away around and do that. West Coast has success with that. Geelong has success with that in the past. Um, Port Adelaide tried it against Melbourne and then looked really silly doing it. So it doesn't always work, but it definitely doesn't work in the wet. And so that's happened the last two weeks against Gold Coast and Collingwood. And they, as I said, they don't have the personnel there to kind of play rough and tumble footy. And both Gold Coast and Collingwood on, on those nights have better midfields and better forward packs. And just, you know, once it gets a bit more chaotic and tap the ball on the ground and, and then lock it in your forward 50, other teams are way better at that than Fremantle. And so, mm. yeah, some people have already called them out for this and a kind of very boring, uh, methodic style of, of football. And if you're not super super clutch in, in the executing that, then it puts you up for, um, to be scored against heavily, which other teams have done that. So you can't really blame the conditions on that if other teams are scoring heavily against you. And then also you're left with stagnated ball movement, which means you don't get to score either. So it was working the last few weeks and they were built into games and then started scoring heavily and it didn't work the last two weeks and they didn't score at all basically. And yeah. that's pretty concerning. So I think the good news actually is they play Melbourne and Brisbane which means they're going to have to go into these games with like a free swing. They're not expected to win these two games. If they come out with four points from one of them, then that's an absolute steal, especially off the back of these two weeks. So hopefully they come to Melbourne. Hopefully it's a dry night, and hopefully they, they roll the dice and, play and try and play some exciting football against the best team of comp. And then they get to go back home and then host Brisbane. And as we found out, Brisbane doesn't like to travel too far. So maybe you know going down to Tassie is the same as going west to uh, Optus Stadium. They can steal some points there as well, but... Concerning signs that they don't turn around, but let's not write them off just yet. It is only just two weeks. Yeah, no, definitely not. I definitely have them still as a top eight team and perhaps even top four, but the next two weeks will be big. They won't want to lose uh, four in a row. So, um, yeah, keep an eye on them. There might be an upset brewing in Melbourne on the weekends, but we'll get to that on Friday, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, Melbourne's due. As you keep telling us, Melbourne is due. So, and they didn't do it last this week. So, uh, you know. Obviously yep. due sometime soon. What else is due is my low light, and it's just that winter has come, although mm. it is a lovely sunny day, and apologies for the video quality here because the sun is glaring through my window. But um, winter is coming, and so is the game is in crisis analyses slash chat. And every year, something causes a crisis. Something causes Robo and 360 to, to slap the books, and something calls David King to say that people aren't turning up to the games. You know, the last couple of years, we had an actual crisis called a global pandemic. But uh, this year, it's just the umpires. Just the umpires again. <laughs> and so it involves your game. 63 yeah. free kicks were paid in Hawthorne's massive upset against Brisbane. Obviously, you don't care too much because you got the four points. But are free kicks why people are turning away from the game? Are people even turning away from the game? Is the game actually in crisis and... Do we need to round up more umpires and get them more feel and teach them how to play the game properly and all the things that we're hearing at the moment 24-7 on sports radio? Yeah. I mean, 
I see a lot of, um, yeah, obviously there's been some um, individual calls this season that's, you know, been highlighted in the media. There's been games like the Hawthorne and Brisbane one, which, you know, I think was, I think it's fair to say it was over umpire. There was just some calls that didn't need to be paid and some of the off the ball ones. Um, and then there was that game again, uh, the game involving Fremantle a few weeks ago where they, the two had about 40 free kicks paid. Um, I don't think, I don't blame the umpires for this. I blame more of the AFL for the change of rules. And I think uh, the greater focus they try and put on certain rules. And um, yeah, the umpires are just trying to, um, I guess, apply these rules to the best of their ability. But uh, I can understand that it can get a bit confusing for them. But yeah, so, something something does, I think, need to be done. I think that the whistle just needs to be put away, <laughs> as simple as that sounds. Um Again, I don't blame the umpires, but I blame the AFL for this. And I think the best way forward is just put the whistle away. We don't need to be giving away free kicks for off-the-ball pushes and shoves and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it, it's as simple as that, um, obviously. And I've been listening to the radio a bit as well over the last few days, and this topic keeps coming up. And I keep hearing uh, people calling up and saying that it is causing frustration uh, amongst the fans. And I think there was some fan violence in the in the, um, the Richmond uh, Essendon game over the weekend. And um, yeah, different people calling up about different situations where people are getting frustrated by umpiring decisions and stuff. I'm not sure how much we can read into that because maybe it's just disgruntled, disgruntled fans. But um, yeah, it's... it's it's interesting to hear that perspective from them. Yeah, I feel like fans are always upset. When it comes to round 10, you know, half the competition can't play finals. You're going to be upset. And so, you know, you take it out of the umpires because that's what we've done for 150 years. Mm. And I feel like umpires have always been ruining the game and we've never appreciated what they've done. And I think we never will and we never do it in any sport. And then we come around to the whole, you know, well, we need to protect the umpires. We need more umpires to participate in the game, et cetera, et cetera, and we just go through the same spiral every year. But I do I do agree with your point there. We make it very complicated and and hard. It's already kind of a crazy game to umpire. Mm. And so when you yeah. add in all these extra bits around, you have to you have to work out, are they yelling at you or yelling at themselves or yelling at their opponents? And is that dissent? And is is that deliberate out of bounds? And is did they run too far? And then they turn around in confusion and then you get that one wrong as well. And it's just kind of like, you've got too much to do. You've got too much to do. So as you say, put the whistle away. If it's obvious, blow it. If it's not, then don't. Yeah. And they'll do that and everyone will get upset because they'll say two weeks ago they were blowing this as a free kick and then it cost my team a game and they'll ring up on 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 talk back and have a whinge then as well. So I don't think mm. I think I don't think the game's in crisis. Is was that game over umpired? Absolutely. But was it also like the best game of the weekend? Pro- probably as well. Probably, so yeah. yeah. So like the umpires didn't ruin it. And the game's not broken, and everyone still likes footy. It's just that, you know, we need to have something to complain about because it's getting cold. Yep. That's kind of the vibe I've got, but... <laughs> and it's fair enough, too. It is getting a bit chilly in the mornings and nights. Who's not chilly, though, is our number one hottest fan. He's in fine form. It's time for Dario's Digest. Boys, Dario here from Buxton Real Estate in Ashburton, giving you another episode of Dario's Digest. Giving you something to digest every single week look just a quick one again grand final day 2 30 
Has the AFL missed an opportunity to have a twilight match at the MCG on grand final day? Love to hear your thoughts. Have a great week, boys. I don't know if Dario missed our conversation on Friday. If he did, he missed out on some fine tips from you. He tipped eight or nine at least. But he makes a valid point here. Uh, and yeah. so he he's angling towards a twilight game. You've obviously said you prefer the, you prefer the daytime slot. Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't why shouldn't the AFL go into a twilight game? How can we talk Dario out of this situation? I guess I mean it, it was it was the fans, wasn't it? I think the fans caused up a bit of a bit of a fuss um, about the whole um, yeah potential about the twilight grand final at the MCG. In terms of the spectacle, though, I mean there, there's not really much to say against the twilight grand final. I mean all the all the all the factors, you know, in terms of um, television views and uh, the, the spectacle of the game, the halftime entertainment, it all makes sense to have it twilight or a night grand final. But this is just a pure uh, situation where, you know, the fans want it one way and the AFL is just listening to the fans, which I think is important. And yeah, like I said on Friday, this the, the afternoon grand final is unique. Um, it is. Uh, something we should, uh, I guess, cherish and, uh, I guess, embrace. Um, and, yeah, it's it's different from America and Europe and all that sort of stuff, but uh, we enjoy it and that's all that really should matter, I guess, at the end of the day. But, we'll, I mean, this, this is just going to be brought up every single year. I don't think the, the topic is going away anytime soon. So I wouldn't be surprised in the future if... Um, they do trial the, the Twilight game at the um, at the MCG and maybe even slowly phase it in. So that'll be interesting to see. But interested to hear your thoughts if uh, you disagree. No, I don't actually. And I think it comes two parts. There's, there's the whole sports business and sports media mm-hmm. element to it. Would it get higher ratings? Maybe. And so, like, that's an important factor, considering that's how the AFL gets paid and, you know, do their sponsors want it in that time slot, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Can they get another market out of it? Can they, like, export it overseas? That's all well and good. But also, it's the people's game. Like, that's that's why we, that's why people turn up. That's why people play it. It's, you know, it goes beyond just the business of sport, and I know that's very naive, but also that's the AFL. It's still a very, very young professional league, and... Really, you know, it only went professional in the 90s. So to go after like 30 years and say, yeah, let's sell our soul, that seems very premature for mine. So, you know, keeping it at the home of football, the MCG, keeping it in the afternoon where the fans currently want it. And if in 50 years the fans go, actually, this is ridiculous, put it in a twilight or 20 years or 10 years or whenever the fans kind of all agree, then, then sure, the majority at the very least. Then yeah, maybe we experiment. But if there's a loud majority are saying no, we want to, we want our regular afternoon Saturday time slot. Give us the football that we want. Then mm. I can't see how the AFL could ever go against that because that would just be quite upsetting for a lot of people. And if they reckon the game's in crisis now, then boy oh boy would it be in crisis then. So <laughs> yeah, I have no other reason, no other reason to change it. Yeah. Let's leave one thing as is. <laughs> Something that will never change, Nico. It's the hot questions of the week. So to close out, some rapid-fire responses from you about all the hot talk-back talking points that we've heard this week so far as of 2.40 on a Tuesday. 
FIFO. Do you know what FIFO is? Fly in, fly out. Shift workers paying, you know, doing uh, high-paid jobs in, in tough conditions. Well, uh, McVeigh, yeah. the interim coach at GWS, he, he FIFO'd in some assistants. Yeah. So, uh, James Hurd and, and Solomon. And uh, some people said that was a good move because they obviously he trusts them. And some people said it was a bad look because he shunned the full-time assistants. What's your read on this situation? Uh, yeah, so, certainly a bad look for... Uh... The, I guess the club and the way they used to be running it. But, I, I mean, if McVeigh had no other choice and thought, you know, he needs a fresh group of people in the coach's box um, that will, you know, ultimately help the Giants, then, you know, he has to, um, yeah, he has to do it. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad look, I guess, but um, it's a good move, if that makes sense. Mm. It does make sense, and I think that's exactly it. It might be a bad look, but also the coach got sacked. So why would you just keep doing the same thing? Use all the mm-hmm. same assistants and play the same game style. They played a totally different game style and they had a totally different assistants and they, they got a win. Yes, against the Waffle Eagles and only by, you know, 50-odd points, but a win's a win. Yeah. And the Giants need more of them this year, so you've got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. The everlasting story arc of the North Melbourne Kangaroos continues into the dumpster fire. They only had 13,000 people turn up for their demolition against the uh, against the Melbourne Demons. Are they bound for Tasmania? Is it just inevitable? Oh, jeez. It, it's a... It's a... Um, yeah, it's a topic that many North... Obviously, North fans don't enjoy seeing, but uh, the longer this goes on, uh, and that I mean that as in the results and the crowds, um, then yes, I mean I'd love to see a standalone Tasmania team with a fresh new name and a fresh new brand and look and everything like that. Nineteen teams in the competition and maybe one day twenty. But yeah, if this continues, I mean, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really see any way up for North Melbourne as a football club. I mean, you can't survive off thirteen thousand crowds, and that is with um, obviously playing against another Victorian team, the reigning premiers in Melbourne. Um, so, I mean, what, what's going to happen when they're playing GWS at home and Gold Coast at home and Freo and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can't survive as a football club with below 20,000 crowds and results every week that are, you know, plus 50 points. So something something needs to change at North Melbourne and pretty quickly, I think. Uh, maybe I'm being harsh. I don't know, but... Um, it, it, I don't know, the, the situation in North Melbourne at the moment just seems pretty dire. Hmm. And it and it and this is where the sports business does come into it because obviously, you know, people, the Roos fans will point to GOS and Gold Coast and say, well, the AFL's propped them up since existence, but, you know, that's for the potential to tap into a new market. You don't. There's no new market in Arden Street. There's no new market in North Melbourne. And these people that say they want their club to survive aren't going to games. So if you want your club to survive, you have to turn up. Hawthorne's been at the bottom of the ladder. Hawthorne fans turned up. Not as much as they did when they were winning, but they definitely still turned up. Richmond did their time. Carlton did their time. Eston's doing their time. And they're still turning up. So if you want your club to survive, if you want your club to be an AFL club forever, you have to do what every other club has done and turn up when you suck and turn up when you win and... Just turn up, really. That's that's the only way clubs survive. And so if you stop doing that, then that's the first step for a club to be fading away. So, yes, it'd be great if the North could turn around on the field, but, you know, 
Fans have to do their part too. That's why you're called fans, not investors. Uh, the final one, the fans are angry. But the fans were cheering on the weekend too because Essendon tried hard. Oh, yet every Essendon commentator and ex-player says they need to fly the flag more often. Is flying the flag the least of Essendon's worries, Nicky G? Absolutely it is. They are not in the same boat as North Melbourne where... You know, they're, they're going into games expecting to lose and they just need to, you know, put in a good effort um, to please their members and, you know, show a bit of physicality and all that sort of stuff. They have to be going into games to win. They have to be ch- uh, channeling that frustration and anger into winning the ball and not, um, I guess, engaging in the opposition's antics and, you know, falling in the media's trap. They said, Essendon last week, that they weren't listening to the media and, uh, all that stuff about what happened with Luke Parker and, you know, Essendon didn't uh, stand up to him and they're getting bullied. That was obviously rubbish because they came out this week and um, there was spot fires throughout the whole game against Richmond. And um, the the reality is, is that that game goes down as loss and it goes down as a heavy loss uh, because um, for some reason, Essendon just aren't what they were last year and uh, that's extremely concerning because uh, I guess that, I mean they should be challenged for the finals. Um, I don't care how much last year uh, they overachieved. They are a team that has to be challenged for finals, and we're t- ten games into the season this year, and they you know they've registered two wins to their name. And I mean that game against Hawthorne, you know, it was an almighty comeback in the last quarter, and it was a good performance and all that, but. Ultimately, they trailed for three quarters against that as well. So they are playing like a bottom three side and that's what should be concerning the Bombers at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, you know, as there have also other people come out and said, you can't be commended for just trying because every team should be trying. So as you said, they should be winning and with the list they've got and how good we kept getting told they were last year, this year has definitely been three steps backwards for no steps forwards but um, at least it's a long season maybe they can get their way back to 50-50 percentage just like hopefully I can with my tips this week so to find out how we'll be tipping or to find out who Nikki G's tipping is to copy them okay, make sure you're tuning back in on Friday for our weekend watch list episode but until then enjoy your footy and try not to break.